We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Let's get serious about the NFL. I did start that last Thursday when Aaron Schatz was on to talk through overvalued and undervalued teams based on his numbers. But we're going to get into the nitty gritty right now. Ross Tucker from the Ross Tucker podcast, which is probably not the place where we're going to know you the best anymore. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's uh, as you know, it's a pretty popular show. It's daily uh, and people like it. It's kind of like their 25 minutes of NFL content every morning from a former player. And then I've got, the betting one, the even money podcast for fantasy football. I've got the fantasy feast and even people that like the NFL draft and college football so much. I've got the college draft, but yeah, it's uh, some exciting news today was announced that I'm calling some NFL games on CBS this year. So really looking forward to it. I mean, I've called a lot of uh, high school, a lot of Ivy league, a lot of Patriot league maction. I mean, I've called them all uh, trying to get, an opportunity like this so should be fun and uh i think they'll probably have you know some more announcements down the pike as it relates to college football and stuff and i'm just really looking forward to it well it it really spurs hope for me moving forward in my realm because i mean i don't really see a difference between you and i except you are an ivy leaguer you played in the nfl and (laughs) games for ages but we both have podcasts can i get on tv you know what i will say pat we we are a lot more similar than people probably realize because we both basically started our own thing from scratch and were able to build it into something pretty darn cool. You've done an unbelievable job with the Pat Mayo experience and all of your properties. It's uh, really, really impressive. Your YouTube, everything. Uh, man, I was late to the game on YouTube. I'm trying to trying to catch up at youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL, but you've just done an awesome job. And uh, it was so fun getting a chance to work with you last year and just see the way you go about it. So really excited to be on your show. Hopefully you can return the favor at some point. You know, you, you have my email or you can just text me. I'll be here. It's not like I do a ton of stuff. We have to record right now because I have to go pick up my kids, but other than that, you know, I'm pretty available most of the time. Let's I love talk- it. I love it. I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk NFL. Uh, Camp opened. Actually, I I want to swing back to the broadcasting thing for a second. Yeah. What do people not realize about calling a game, especially a TV property? Because obviously radio preparation is one thing. uh, Doing, you know, I don't want to say low-level college, but Ivy League and Patriot is not doing the SEC on ABC. So not as many people are watching. But getting thrust into NFL TV on CBS 
what sort of preparation do you have to do during the week? Because we always hear like, you know, Buck and Aikman, they show up, I mean, Joe Buck doesn't, but uh, they, they show up, you know, five days before and interview the players and interview the coaches for the primetime games. You're not going to have that luxury of being there all week and getting all the information from everyone. So what does your preparation schedule look like? Yeah, so somewhat standard for NFL would be that you arrive on Friday morning and you watch the home team practice and then you meet with the home team players and coaches after that and then Saturday when the away team gets to the hotel so Saturday evening you meet with the away team at the hotel and players and coaches and then obviously Sunday is the game so from a strictly meeting standpoint now obviously you have your own meetings with your own broadcast team in terms of graphics you want to use, storylines that are interesting, things to keep an eye on. You know, the funny part is, Pat, and you'll probably appreciate this, it's actually the higher the level you're at, the easier it is because the notes they give you are better. The access to information is better. You know, you do some high school games or some lower level college games um, and you learn real quick how valuable it is to have the information sort of um, teed up for you on a silver platter. The other thing I would say to people about actually calling the game that is a lot different than people realize and a lot harder is, you know, it's one thing when you're sitting on the couch watching the monitor and you see stuff, right? When you're up in the booth, you're primarily watching the field so because you're trying to see everything going on, right? You're trying to see the big picture. So you might not actually see something that took place um, that they can see really closely on the monitor because they're a little bit more zoomed in because you're trying to see the whole picture. Because sometimes you're like, why is he not talking about you know the hold right there or this? And, and maybe that's because... You're looking at something else, but maybe even more to the point, you know, you have a producer in your ear talking to you. Um, the play-by-play guy might steer you in a different direction. I might want to talk about the defensive ends, great pass rush, but they the replay they show is the wide receiver one-on-one against the corner, which, by the way, that's not what I watched on the play. I watched the O-line. I wanted to talk about the O-line at the end, but no – they want to show the ISO corner receiver, which is great, except I'm now seeing it for the first time <laughs> because I didn't watch that. It, it's it's a lot harder, I think, than people realize. But, man, I've done so many games now that, uh, um, you know, obviously I feel very comfortable in who I am and how I go about it. I'm excited for people to see it. They, they also announced that week one uh, I'll be doing the Titans at the Saints. So – I guess the, part of me is wondering, Pat, if maybe I got this assignment because of my food posts <laughs> on social media at Ross Tucker NFL. They're sending me to New Orleans. I mean, maybe that was a big part of this thing. I mean, that, that could be an easy tie in for you going forward to make some extra cash outside of calling the games is Ross's food and travel review of the best places in the city to go eat. If anything, they can probably just like comp you your meal and you'd be good to go. I would be happy to do it just for that. You're, you got that exactly right. I'm low budget, Pat. That would be amazing. I, in college, when I was in broadcasting school, I did play-by-play for the University of Toronto football team, who were, I think, on a 31-game losing streak at that point. And what you hit on is exactly right. They wouldn't even give me a name key for the names. And sometimes the numbers of the players would be switched in between games. So I had no idea who anyone is. It was a travesty, and it was probably the single hardest thing I've had to do. I mean, it wasn't even really my career. I was just a student at the time. I was like, I know what I never want to do again, and it's this. It's unfat. It's like doing a radio show, like Colin Coward style, for two hours by yourself every single day on every sport. Like, it takes a certain type of person to be able to be good at this stuff, and I was not one of them. You know what? Um I, I can't tell you enough how hard it is when you have limited information. I mean, and, and the thing is, is you're doing it for them. You know, like I, I called a game 
I can't remember who it was last year. It was like Alabama State, UAB, and Alabama State. Like it was hard to even get a roster from them. And it's like we're we're trying to do your players justice. Like we're we're trying to make sure we know about them and highlight them and where they came from and their background and um like what's that what movie is that it's uh jerry Maguire. help me help you help me help you did you meet emery on this circuit as well because i know that emery is always on your show all the time i've had emery on my show a bunch during nfl draft season was it calling these games with him uh i met emery on this circuit not calling games with him but uh, for a few years there, the Ivy League games were on Friday nights on NBC Sports Network when I was doing them. And they were the only game on Friday nights. This was like before ESPN was really doing it. But I think ESPN realized that people were watching these and they started doing like a two-lane game or whatever, right? Uh, but for a while there, it was just the Ivy League. And Emery is – I thought I really, really loved football <laughs> until I met Emery. He would be in the press box and he'd be there just to just to just to watch the game. And I, I don't even know who he was really covering the game. I mean, I was actually getting paid to call the game. Emery was there just to watch the game and watch some of the prospects in the game and Ivy League game. I mean, he is that dude is everywhere. Are there any particular stadiums just in general that have a better press spread? Because that was always, I mean, the one part I did enjoy about doing the play-by-play would be like, hey, it's halftime. Go to the media room, catch some grub. It was awesome. Well, so, uh, Pat, you're now you're firmly in my wheelhouse. Uh, I am the world's foremost expert on press box food. Um, I, I've been studying the genre for a dozen years now. And I am convinced, Pat, with rare exception that especially in the nfl the press box food is a good reflection of the overall organization for example the patriots have historically had great press box food the packers might be my favorite the redskin slash football team slash Commanders, horrific, absolutely horrific. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, what what is the organization's philosophy? Like, are, are they trying to excel? Are they trying to do things well? Are they trying to spend as little money as possible? And what I always thought was crazy is, you know, if the team stinks, the, the media is going to say they stink. If they're awesome, me is going to say they're awesome. But there's a lot of in-between there. And I would say that I believe that you kind of get the benefit of the doubt if you just ate some really good food in that press box, right? Like, you know, I mean, you're still going to call it the way you see it. But if you were there and they just got, you just had two brats and they had this amazing pulled pork with mac and cheese, and they got a nice salad bar, and they've got a delicious soda product with caffeine without calories like Coke Zero, uh, you're happy. But you know what? I know Aaron Rodgers just threw his fourth pick, but this Green Bay Packers organization, they know what they're doing. They really do. <laughs> so, no, some of my favorites, Pat, uh, the Cowboys have been phenomenal. Uh, in the new stadium. Last couple of years, I did their game on Thanksgiving. Never experienced anything like it. By far the best Thanksgiving spread I've ever been a part of in any capacity. Uh, the Packers I kind of referenced already. You know who's really good? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Really? They typically have three or four entrees, all kinds of different sides or whatever. And then at halftime, they have bananas, foster, ice cream, dessert. I get back in line like three or four times to get the bananas foster. It's that good. We covered Super Bowl in Minnesota, which of all the Super Bowl destinations, not the best climate to go to in February when it was minus 30 degrees out. And I'm used to dealing with Celsius. Minus 30 Fahrenheit was a completely new thing to me. 
but I brought my buddy Cust along with me and we were doing the shows live from Radio Row, all that fun. And he spent probably, I don't know, five hours a day in the press room just, oh, they have they, they brought this stuff out. And, you know, they're giving away food for free in there. It's like, yeah, man, <laughs> they're, they're trying to treat us nicely. Yeah, you know what? Um, I can't remember. I think the food was pretty good in Minnesota. But yeah, very nice people. That was actually my my wife and her sister came out to the game as the Eagles won their only Super Bowl. I'm from the Philadelphia area, so that meant a lot to them to go to the game. And uh, yes, that there's uh, there's certainly challenges when the Super Bowl is in a cold weather town. But yeah, I think people sometimes are like blown away by the uh, the food that you get at some of these places. I mean, it's now like a thing, Pat. I mean, I don't know if you saw yesterday. There must have been some soccer event at Lincoln Financial Field. And some guy literally did a video of the spread and posted it and said, did I do this right at Ross Tucker NFL? And I was like, thank you for your service. Pressbox food season officially starts August 12th. Oh, I will say this. Here's the uh, here's the flip side, Pat. Um, as you mentioned, I went to Princeton and I had several, um, you know, full scholarships for football, but my parents agreed to pay for me. They don't have athletic scholarships in the Ivy League. People forget that. I don't know that. So uh, what they do is they help you get into school, right? So, uh, you know, my parents paid for me to go to Princeton. And so uh, I think they cringe a little bit when people will say to them, oh, your son's Ross Tucker. Oh, yeah. He's the press box food guy. Yeah. He's the press box food guy. And my parents are thinking, wow, like we sent him to Princeton to be the press box food video guy. So you better believe Pat, uh, like two weeks ago, I was the keynote speaker for the Pennsylvania neurosurgeon society. <laughs> and I sent that, I sent several pictures of that to my parents being like, see Princeton did pay off. See, um, because I, I know they've been wondering. Well, at least they understand that you're still in football, got to see you, and you got the Ivy League degree. When I switched from dentistry into arts, my parents did not take that well. And then when I said that I was going to be an online sports personality, they took that even worse. But they seem to be okay with it now, despite not really knowing what I do for a living. But they seem to think that I'm not borrowing money from them, and that seems good enough for them. You know what? And you love what you do. I'll say this, Pat. I just don't know how you did what you did, where you did it. Luck. And, and how you became such a big NFL fan. Like, how did that happen? I, fantasy and gambling, mainly. You just got in. Uh, that's interesting. Early on. But is that even big in where you're Nova Scotia, right? Yeah, I'm in Nova Scotia. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sports fans here. We don't have, I mean, the only pro team that we have, and it, I mean, I just moved back to Nova Scotia after being away for about 15 years, but we have an NLL team. We have the Halifax Thunderbirds, National Lacrosse, which is actually a fantastic time. But when you don't have any pro teams in your area, it's actually kind of fun because no one roots for the same people, which really lent itself to gambling and fantasy pretty easily like hockey because it's Canada is always going to be the biggest thing here, but you have, you know, if the Maple Leafs are the biggest team in Canada, there's a lot of Maple Leafs fan. The city that we're closest to is Boston. So there's a lot of Bruins fans here. There's a lot of Montreal Canadians fans because 30 years ago when there was six channels, one of them was the French channel and they were the ones that carried all of the Canadians games. And we have, He's four colleges in town and the college that I went to when we played, I mean, Canadian football is not the same, but in terms of college rankings, St. Mary's was all like, they won the national championship once when I was there, they went to the national finals three times while I was there. They had always been historically a very good football team uh, just nationally. So football was weirdly bigger here than it probably had any right to be. And then the NFL came along and said, hey, you can kind of pick whoever you want to root for. Buffalo and the Patriots would be the two biggest teams around here because, again, they're the closest. But I don't know. I don't know how it kind of worked out. We all started playing fantasy and loved it. And then we just became huge NFL fans in, like, the 10th grade. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, I guess it makes sense that they're closest to Boston. I would have thought that for NFL, 
I guess I would not have thought that for for hockey. Yeah, you know, I would have thought you guys would be closer to Toronto, but I guess not. Yeah, Toronto is it's a ways away. Like Toronto and Detroit are about. I mean, Detroit's a little bit farther away. Like I think Buffalo is actually closer than Toronto to here. Right, because you guys are so far east. Yeah, I mean Buffalo and Toronto are not far from each other. I when I played for the Bills, I went to Toronto a couple of times. Cool city, clean city. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed that, but that's that's really interesting, really interesting. So you can pick it in. Uh, Jeff Feinberg is always on our show. Like he's a Chargers fan, and he has a collection. Like him and basically all of the people that he grew up with, their grandparents would always go to Florida all the time. So there's a and that's a Canadian thing to do in the middle of winter. Older people go down south, escape the cold, get into the heat. So there's just weirdly a shocking amount of Dolphins and Buccaneers fans as well, because their grandparents would bring him back a hat with you know, a Bucks logo if they stayed in the Tampa area or a Dolphins logo if they stayed in the Miami area. And then boom, it's so weird how people become fans of teams based on the most arbitrary things. Like a lot of people think, hey, your parents rooted for this team. So I root for this team. That's just kind of how it goes. But little things along the way, like one little butterfly effect twist can really throw that off. And for me, like I don't really even have a team. I liked the Bills growing up. And I think a lot of Canadians liked the Bills because Doug Flutie was such a big star in the CFL. So we oh, always okay. heard about it. And then he went back to the Bills and he was good. Then he got replaced with Rob Johnson. But that was sort of the rooting interest. Not, I don't want to say nationally, because out West in Vancouver, they probably just root for the Seahawks because Seattle is so close. Yeah, um, they do, I know yeah. I had a friend on from Winnipeg earlier and like they root for either basically the Vikings or the Chiefs because those are really close. You can actually make those road trips if you want to. So, you know, proximity means a lot, but just weird little twists along the way. And then when you get into fantasy and gambling, you really don't give a shit who wins as long as the team that you bet on wins, then you're good. <laughs> Yeah, that that changes things um, significantly. It's interesting because, like, growing up where I grew up, every single person is an Eagles fan. There's, like, very little variety. There might be a couple people that are, like, Cowboys fans to kind of troll the Eagles fans, but it's uh, it's pretty unanimous in that regard. It's funny. Um, one of my best friends was actually just in Nova Scotia last week golfing. I guess there's unbelievable golfing up there. Oh, yeah. The the Cabot course is ranked. I think were, one of them is the number one course in the country. The other one's like the number four. But it, uh, back in May, I try to get up once a year. It's about three hours from the city. Just directly. That's where he north. was. That's where he just that's where he just was. He posted on social media Cabot. Yeah, it looks awesome. I mean, it is awesome, but especially with the open championship just having took, taken place. And then you see these courses like, hey, they look pretty similar. Oh, that's awesome. But it's in the middle. That's of awesome. Nova Scotia, like big, um, like fishing. Yeah, on this, like, down towards, because we're very close to Maine on the South Shore. So there's a lot of fishing industry. I think it's, like, highly regulated. But there's, like, just over a million people in the province, and about half of them live in the city. So the city itself is actually kind of big, and there's nothing in the rest of the province. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. So... Uh, what so you say there's people that would be like troll Cowboys fans to combat Eagles fans is there what is like the Eagles fan take on the Steelers is it a rivalry or is it just like eh, I'd like to see them do okay but I'm, I'm an Eagles fan I don't hate them I kind of nothing um that's so in Philadelphia because they only play the Steelers once every four years and because like New York, DC are so much closer. The Steelers are kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And the same for Pittsburgh, where you get that rivalry, Pat, is in the middle of the state where I live. So now I, I, I grew up closer to Philadelphia, but now I live in the state capital of Harrisburg, right near the Hershey Chocolate Factory. And it's crazy because it's like 50-50 Eagles Steelers. So this area is where everyone agrees on Penn State and likes Penn State because Penn State's an hour away, but everybody vehemently disagrees on NFL. But the closer you get to the cities, the less they care about the other team in the state because, like I said, that's a five-hour-plus drive from Philly to Pittsburgh. So. Like people, most people in Philadelphia have never been to Pittsburgh and, and vice versa, right? Like if you live in Philadelphia, 
you're two hours from New York City. You're an hour from Baltimore. You're an hour and a half from D.C. Like, there's really no reason to ever go to Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Like, you're not gonna you're not gonna go twice as long in the car when you have all these other really cool, really well known, you know, major like the, the U.S. capital, New York, New York. Like, you're you're probably not gonna drive to Pittsburgh. So it's not much of a rivalry until you get to the middle of the state where it's like split 50 50. That's really interesting. I, I think I, I kind of understand what you're saying. Like when I, I spent so much time in Toronto and living there that I think I went to Detroit once the entire time, but I went to New York 12 times just over the course of the years. Cause it was a 40 minute flight, whatever it might've yeah. been that you could just leave from downtown quickly get there. Wasn't a problem. It's like, well, do you want to go to New York or Detroit? I think I'd rather go to New York. Although Detroit was yes. quite nice. And most people would make that choice for sure. It's funny in Detroit. It's like, you see that you see Canada. Was it Windsor? Yeah. W Windsor and the casino are right on the other side. It feels like you could swim to it. It's like right there. Well, we, I we, think there are times when we played there where guys might've gone over there. I know one time, Pat, we played the Texans and one of our players highly recommended to a couple of Texans players that they go to the adult establishments in Canada. And next thing you know, they must have missed curfew because they didn't play against us. <laughs> they, they 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 missed the game. <laughs> it was awesome. What a coup. Awesome. That that's real strategy coming from your teammates. Uh no question. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think we still lost the game, which is annoying, but yes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is there a certain amount of, like, I mean, I don't want to say notoriety because people know who you are in a certain space, but being on CBS on an NFL broadcast, is that like a new level, like so many more new people are going to find out who you are. Is that exciting? Or is that just like, man, some of these, like my, my social media is going to be awful now because I still do my show, make picks and talk about this and power rank teams. And now I have these absolute like goobers who watch football for two hours on a Sunday who, you know, I love the lions. They don't know anything else except for they love the lions. And if you don't like the lions, you're going to hear about it. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious to see uh, what the impact will be. The interesting thing about calling a game is that you're really not on camera that much in terms of people visually, right, seeing you. Now, they hear you, um, but other than at the start of the game, maybe the start of the second half, you're not on camera all that much. So I don't know if it will affect – sort of um, how many people might say hi or something if I'm in an airport. Although I think, you know, I, I fill in for Dan Patrick enough that it that's feels fair. like that's usually the thing that people mention, like love you on Dan Patrick, love you on Dan Patrick. Or if I'm in Philadelphia, cause I do the Eagles preseason games on TV, they'll say big fan, big fan, etc. cetera. Um, but no question, Pat, uh, the social media will likely be filled with um, a lot of negativity because everybody gets it. I mean, if you ever, if you ever like look at guys' names during a broadcast, no matter Romo, Aikman, no matter who it is, 
Um, most people don't think they're doing a good job. Most people think they could do a better job. Now, Romo had that run where, like, in the playoff game where he called the play, like, eight times in a row. That was crazy. And it seems like it's been generally really positive feedback uh, for Greg Olson so far, which is really hard to do. Really, really hard to do. I also think part of that, like, Romo's so associated with the Cowboys that almost no matter what he says, Eagles fans aren't going to like it, right? Or same with, like, Brady or whatever. Whereas Olsen, like, played for several teams, and it's like the Panthers, Seahawks, it's like non-threatening teams <laughs> that uh, there isn't, like, a built-in disgust for him. That makes sense. Plus, he's new, and he's doing a good job. And that always goes a long way. It seemed like, well, it seemed like, one, they probably asked Romo to stop calling the plays <laughs> beforehand. Like, it was a novelty, and they needed to kind of stop doing it. That, or do you think that there is something, too, that once you're out of the league so long, and part of your entire cachet is that, you know, you have relationships with these players, you played for these coaches, and that's a lot of what you bring to the table as a broadcaster, that once you're out of the league for long enough, and that's like the one thing that you kind of hang on, and that goes away that maybe not necessarily that your preparation goes down, but just your ability to on the fly be able to call out what's happening because you just see it so vividly from having played two years ago, three years ago. Like you've been out of the game now for a while, but your entire bag isn't like, yeah, I, I was a former player. Here's what I see. It's no, you're doing like deep film review. You're talking about the different concepts that go on. That's not really what Romo's doing. He's calling out plays because he identifies exactly what's going on on the field. And it seems like some of that has started to slip because he's now been out of the league, what, seven, eight years? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that aspect. What I will say is this. I think, especially the first couple of years, for any player, it, it's really like you're an assistant coach then at that point, and you're up in the box as an assistant coach, and you're kind of talking about it like you would be if you were the offensive coordinator. And I know the first couple of years, Romo was like, all right, they got you know single high safety here. The other safeties rotated to this receiver. He's going to be looking to the man-to-man -man over here and circles the guy. And then not every time, but a lot of times, that's where the quarterback threw it because that's what he was thinking. You know what I mean? <laughs> so same type of deal. That's what he was anticipating. I will say with every year you're removed from playing, it gets both harder and easier, right? It gets um, harder in the sense that more of the guys that you know played with or played against aren't out there anymore. So you don't have that built-in sort of scouting report. You got to really study them anew, like the new guys. And also, the league is constantly evolving. Football is constantly evolving. So a lot of the concepts and the way they did things when you were playing change over time. And that's something that you absolutely have to adjust to. It gets easier in the sense that you've done more games. And so just like, you know, you and I, Pat, doing our shows, the more times you've done the games, the more familiar you are with it, the more comfortable you are with it, different scenarios, situations, the better able you are to make sure that you're able to, to do a good job. And also gets a little bit easier maybe to be critical of players as you get further removed because you don't, you're not friends with them. You don't already know them. It's a little bit tougher when you just retired to criticize guys that were your teammates or that you just played with. I think that gets overlooked the human element of a lot of this stuff, especially when you do know the people and they are your friends, you know, be like, well, I just absolute blown assignment there. This guy's no good. <laughs> that's, that's a bit rough. Yeah, you know, I've always kind of taken it like um, as much as possible, critique the play, not the player, um, certainly at the college level, you know, and unless it's an effort thing, I'm usually just saying what the guy did wrong and what he could do better. And for the most part, those guys know it's true. And, and those guys know that that's what their coach is going to tell them in the film room on Monday anyway. And I'm right. You know, that's why you got to that's why you got to be right. Right. If you're right, they respect it. If you're guessing or you're just kind of name calling or criticizing, it's a little bit different. 
since you have a background both on the field in broadcasting, but you've really branched out into fantasy, we did a gambling show together last year. Do you think there's ever going to be a time where you know, we've had the Manning cast on ESPN too? It seems like Amazon wants to run alternate feeds of their Thursday night broadcast that we do get like a pro, not a pro gambling broadcast, but just a fantasy slash gambling broadcast while the game is going on. Obviously it's not play by play with a color guy, but maybe it's, like a hang kind of thing. I, I don't know exactly how it would work, but if there's if all these companies want to be involved in gambling and get that revenue coming in or get DraftKings to sponsor it, wouldn't a feed like that make sense if you already have all the technology in place? Without question. And I personally believe it's just a matter of time. And frankly, as soon as uh, my guess is the NFL would allow some of these networks to do it, they they would strongly consider it. Because that's how you keep engagement, especially if the games aren't close, right? Like that's how you keep people focused on the game because they still have their betting interest, um, whether it's props, fantasy, uh, maybe it's a big line, whatever. Maybe they just bet the second half. But that's actually, there's two reasons why I think the networks should be so excited about betting. Number one, it's the advertising money, obviously. But number two, it's probably, Pat, their best avenue to keeping viewer engagement up for ratings, especially for young people. Young people do not watch sports the way we did in terms of, you know, just sit down with your dad and watch the whole game. They're not as interested in doing that. Uh, they're much more likely just to watch the highlights afterwards, but they also are um, really into betting. Um, you know, at least the young people I've spoken to, and that might be the secret sauce to get them to continue to to watch as much of the game as possible for the ratings. You know, if people are out there into betting on futures, at least before the season, runthesims.com is completely free right now for the preseason and projecting out the entire season, running simulations of all 17 games. You can customize the numbers any way you want. In season, there's a price for that. In the preseason, there is not. So if you want to go test out the system, I highly recommend runthesims.com right now, especially if you want to get in some preseason bets, or maybe you see an offense a little bit differently than someone else sees an offense. Maybe it's more run heavy or pass heavy than what the median projections or sports book think. And you have the inside edge on this, or at least you think you have the inside edge. Runthesims.com, highly recommend that you go check it out. Do you think that Red zone was invented because of fantasy and gambling, or it just became super popular because of fantasy and gambling. Um, super popular because of fantasy and gambling, but it's such a good product. It's awesome. I mean, that's what I watch. Really? Um, you know, I every Monday on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, I'm giving my thoughts on every game. Really hard to do that if you're not watching the red zone. Like really hard to to have a pretty it, it it makes you feel like you have a pretty good feel for all of those games. Um, now then I got to go back and watch the full Eagles game for the Eagles work I do, but uh, the red zone puts you in a point where you feel like you have a pretty good handle on 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 the major game changing plays and how guys performed in each of those games. It is it's incredible. You know I'm amazed, Pat. And there's a lot of reasons why, but that they don't have a similar college product because, you know, there's a chance there where that, that'd be huge revenue, but how do you split it? How do you share it? You know, the colleges are not as organized in that regard as the NFL is. My guess would be that college football, to me at least from the outside looking in, seems a lot more regional than national. And that maybe, I mean, obviously more people watch the NFL than watch college football on a weekly basis when both the games are on, that maybe they don't feel like there is as much of a demand for the product as possible. And then you have the other part, is it even feasible with so many games going on at one time? Could you actually make a product that services everyone or do you have to limit it to 10 games at a time or just SCC red zone or Pac-12 red zone, something like that? Well, I think it probably would be conference. 
because I do think it's pretty regional. Um, but I don't know, man. People that really love football, you know, they want to watch all the top games. They want to watch the top 20, 25 teams. And maybe that's how they break it yeah. down, right? Maybe it's just the games involving teams in the top 20, top 25. Um, and it's also, you know, they got three time slots as opposed to just two, like the regular red zone for NFL. But, man, that'd be awesome. That would really be cool to be able to, you know, flip back and forth especially when there's multiple good games on at the same time. That always kind of annoys me a little bit because there'll be multiple good games on at the same time. And they're like on different networks. and They might not even tell you about the other one because they, they don't want you to switch the channel. I, maybe that's what it is too, that if Fox has a game and ABC has a game at the NFL level between Fox and CBS, that they can work together with the red zone product, but ABC Fox, NBC with Notre Dame, whoever it is, they just don't want to ever give up those rights for an alternate product, even if it would create generate a little bit more revenue, it would still take away some of the revenue from the direct selling that they can do on advertising if it thought that it hurt the games at all. I don't know. I think that me and you, now that you have like the big wigs at CBS on your side, we go into CBS or one of their, you know, Paramount Plus, their other properties, they want to get more subs to Paramount Plus. We'll bring DraftKings with us. DraftKings can pay for all this. I think we have an idea on our hands. <laughs> that would be that would be really fun. I'm sure that some of these networks are are waiting for the for the green light to ha to have some of that content. I know the NFL still has pretty strict rules about what you can and can't say as it relates to to gambling. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Or it could be like a Pete Campbell situation from Mad Men, where he invented direct marketing. I mean, he didn't invent it. He came up with the idea independently. It just happened to exist before. I'm sure there's other people out there that have tried to foster the college football red zone idea, but I think it actually makes some sense, especially when you can get like eight separate channels out of it, sell it as its own package and you know, cut the networks and you'll be good to go. I did want to get to a few tangible things for the gambling crowd, the fantasy football crowd. And I think it's the part that eludes Listen, I'm going to stand up here and tell you this guy is a good receiver because of X, Y, and Z and try to project out his stats for the year. I actually don't fucking know anything about this stuff, but I've watched it long enough to try to predict stat trends. If a player is actually good or not, can't really tell you that. But offensive line is, I think, a very underappreciated part of fantasy football and especially betting on teams that people just have a very tough time wrapping their heads around what's good, what's not, and how does it really work? Because listen, you're going to be wrong about predictions all the time anyway, but going into last year, one of the main reasons that Seattle was going to be no good is that their offensive line sucked. Well, it turned out their offensive line was actually pretty good. Is there a lot of rhyme or reason to this, especially when trying to project out rookies and how they'll fit into an offensive line? Or generally, is it one of those things where if an offense was good a year ago, they're generally going to be good if they've kept most of the same pieces the following year? If there is cohesiveness to an offensive line, is that the main thing that you look for to see if they're going to be better or worse or around the same? Yeah, so uh, there's no question that I would say defensive back is probably the second most important. But along the offensive line, Pat, no question that a premium is placed on chemistry and continuity. There, there's just no doubt about it. And it's like anything else. Like you're you're so often working with the guy on one side of you or the other. You're you're so often working in concert with this other guy that the more often you do it, the better feel you have for what he's going to do and the better feel he has for what you're going to do. And thus you're a lot further ahead of the game. It's like, um, you know, when you first start dating your significant other on the phone, you know, it's a little bit awkward and, and maybe you have a note or two of something that you want to say and whatever. And, and then you get to the point where like, now I don't even finish sentences. You know what I mean? Like I say three and my wife's like, no, I, I don't want to do that. Or, you know, whatever the case might be, you, you just, you just know each other. Right. So uh, that's a big factor along the offensive line. I mean, there, there have been times where there were offensive lines. I can remember like the 2007, 2008 New York giants. They weren't like the most highly touted guy. I don't know if any of those guys were really pro bowl guys. Maybe Chris knee went to one, but as a unit, 
boy, they worked so well together. They just, they were all smart and tough and worked very, very well together. So in general, you want to bet on, whether it's fantasy or betting, offensive lines that have as much continuity as possible because that helps the chemistry, especially if they were good the year before. Uh, Rookies are difficult. And usually you want to probably shy away. But then there are times when, like in Seattle, I thought those guys played a lot better. Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, they played a lot better than I was expecting them to play. I thought thought the combination of Geno Smith at quarterback with two rookie tackles was going to be an absolute disaster, Pat. Like disaster. And that wasn't the case. Those guys held up, played pretty well. Geno played great. And now the Seahawks are, in my mind, like a sneaky team to go to the Super Bowl this year. I feel like, you know, we know the top favorites in the NFC, the Eagles, the Niners, the Cowboys. But it feels like they all have, like, their own flaws, right? The Eagles lost seven starters. You know, the Cowboys got rid of Kellen Moore for some unknown reason. Uh, You know, the Niners quarterback situation. It feels like if you were ever going to pick, Pat, a year to take a longer shot team to win a conference, it would be the NFC this year. And it would be like the Detroit Lions or the Seattle Seahawks or the two I keep coming back to. That's an interesting at, at those odds. That's an interesting play because there's definitely a scenario whereby those teams have both improved and they're both good enough to go on a playoff run and they're not having to go through Cincinnati, Kansas City, and all these AFC teams. They're going through some NFC teams that all look like they kind of have some some flaws. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson carted off the field earlier today. This is coming out on a Tuesday. This happened on Monday. So the Lions already getting Detroit Lions luck as we go through. Your former Buffalo Bills lose Naheem Hines. So there's already camp news coming out. I mean, Losing a defensive back that you signed to a big deal on a one-year contract that you really hope shores up your back end is one thing. I saw people really freaking out about Naheem Hines, which I thought was kind of strange. Yeah, he's a good player. He's not affecting your win total whatsoever. It just, it hurts. You're going to have to replace him with someone who might not be as good, but people are acting like they lost like Stefan Diggs or something like that. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, the the Hines thing, I, I don't think is that big of a deal. I mean, they. I think they run into run the ball a little bit more with power anyway. It's why they went out and signed Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. And the things that Hines did, James Cook does very well. So I don't feel like the Naeem Hines situation is that big of an issue. Um, now, if the Lions lost Gardner Johnson, that would have been bad. But that's the other lesson, I think, from today, Pat, is like, Hey, just relax a little bit till we get a little bit more information. You know, non-contact. He was banging the ground. He's done for the year. And then, like, that was like a 45-minute window. That's like, oh, no, he's fine. You know, and, and that's what – I think there's a lesson there. Is that just what happens this time of year because we're so starved for anything to talk about NFL-related? Yeah, pretty much. P- people are so uh, excited, and rightfully so, and so amped up about what's going on that, you know, any information, you know, we we haven't really had a whole lot of news for like a month, at least six weeks, maybe. So people get really excited when there's information that we can actually act upon. What is the, just for people who don't know, because a lot of people are going on the pup list right now, uh, early on in training camp, and they're like, oh my God, like how injured is this guy? This happens all the time, right? Yeah, I mean, I was actually on the PUP list once. If there's a list... Cut, traded, IR, PUP, I've I've been on it. And all it means is you can't pass a physical at the start of camp for whatever reason. You might just need another day or two or whatever. Mine was actually terrible. I I was healthy um, coming back from a back surgery for the Bills. But then during the conditioning test, I partially tore my hamstring. 2005, Buffalo ended up really negatively impacting my career. Um, but the the conditioning test is considered a part of the physical. So if you 
get hurt during that, they can throw you on the PUP list. So I was on the PUP list then with uh, the, during the, and, and I, I practiced for it like five times. I, I knew I was going to be fine with it, but I'm running and all of a sudden I just felt it. I don't know if it's because my spine was a little bit off from the surgery or what, but just very unfortunate. That sucks. That's a real bummer. And like I've seen already in early on training camp, like, you know, Amari Cooper's a bit banged up. Kadarius Tony got hurt doing punt drills. And then Dr. Travis Kelsey came out and said he hopes he's ready for the beginning of the year. Like people will glom on to anything at this point of time to try to make it a story, which I actually think was super savvy from the running back side of things to bring attention to, you know, the big names not wanting to play on the franchise tag. And, you know, is there going to be the, a separate running backs union, all these crazy theories that have been thrown out there. But l- let me ask you, if you had $20 million to spend and you could spend 14 of it on a running back and six of it on a good O-lineman or 18 of it on an elite O-lineman and two of it on a running back, what side would you pick? Well, I think it depends on uh, what else you have on the line. What else you have at running back? I think it depends on just how good that running back is. You know, I'll give you an example, Pat. Um, like, I think Chris Lindstrom, the the right guard for the Falcons, is a really good player, right? He makes over he makes $20.5 million a year. You know, Quentin Nelson makes $20 million a year. I played guard, right? I started at least I don't know, seven games at both left guard and right guard in the NFL. And I think they're important positions. I really do. Sometimes I struggle with thinking the right guard, let's say for the Giants, Mark Lewinsky, great guy, was on the Ross Tucker podcast a couple weeks ago. Is he really – now, they're not paying him as such. But is he really having more of an impact on the outcome of the game than Saquon Barkley? Like, really? Because I, I I I struggle with that. Um, you know you need a good offensive line. You know you're better off probably with a good offensive line and an average running back than an average offensive line and a good running back just because that's the nature of it. But the O-line is a group. And you need, you're really only kind of as good as your weakest link. So it's interesting, Pat. I think there's a – there's like a – a conversation to be had about paying elite guys versus making sure you don't have any holes, right? Like you'd almost rather have five average O linemen than three hall of famers and two below average offensive line, if that makes sense. Right. Because the hall of famers, they really can't make up for the two below average guys. They, they can't do that. And so the play is going to be ruined more often than not because the difference between like an average guy and a really good guy is only like a play or two per game, maybe three. Like it, it's almost not identifiable by the casual fan. But if you have 70 snaps, you know, an elite player is probably going to get the job done on like 69 of them, right? And uh, a good player's 67, 68, an average player's 65. Like, so th- those plays might be a difference between the win or the loss, or they might not impact the play at all. You know, um, you, you really don't know. Well, I think that's part of the running back thing is that, you know, you only touch the ball so many times during a game and in the plays where you don't touch the ball, sure, you could be a decoy, you can pull defenders away from where the play is actually going, or they can just sub you out with another running back on the team. Like you said, there's not a big, a huge gap between a Hall of Fame O-lineman or Hall of Fame guard and an average guard. But I think that the gap between the truly elite running backs and your fourth string running back, it seems like that gap, because there's so many good running backs, that that gap is really small too. And that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. I'm, I think there are instances where that's the case. I'm not sure that's always the case. You know, I would love to see the Giants and Raiders play games this year without Saquon Barkley and without Josh Jacobs. I, tend to believe that it would have a a big impact 
on the difference uh, of the outcome of those games. I mean, look at their backup running backs. They're not they're not exactly ready to roll there. So I'd, I'd kind of like to see that. Well, it would be a super interesting test case for all of this. And I think I feel personally like Barkley is on a whole different level than Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs is good, not great, where Saquon Barkley is great. But trying to tie up all your money into Saquon Barkley for like four years at a time, I mean, if he accepts the franchise tag, that sucks for him next year. But it's still a lot of money for this year. He's still going to be paid like an elite player. I don't know. It just, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around because I don't think that the, how teams view the position now where you're rotating different guys in and out. Well, this guy's a great pass blocker. So he's going to be on the field in these situations. This guy's a, you know, between the twenties type of player. This guy's an inside the twenties type of running back that almost like we talked about with Buffalo, that you can use these running backs in different ways because you want to develop a different style. There are very few teams that are just going to be like, Hey, this guy's playing 98% of the snaps. And he's going to pound it between the tackles. He's going to run off the edge and he's going to be our receiving back the entire time. Like they don't want to overexert a running back in that way for one thing and wear him down, but they're just, there's no sense of running a guy into the ground and have him be Logie towards the end of the game. When you can bring in guys to spell him, give him a rest, but him knowing that he's still your top end talent, that if this ends up becoming a thing and fewer players are playing running back, even in college, and then less guys are coming into the NFL this way, then I do actually think, like you said, the NFL evolves. The NFL is constantly changing, that we're eventually going to get back to a part where the talent gap between the best and worst running backs is so pronounced that all of a sudden running backs will have value again. It's probably just going to take time, kind of like big men in basketball, that you know, big men are dead. You know, The Warriors' way of playing is the way of playing, and now Jokic and Embiid and Giannis are the way that you want to go in the NBA. That's a really good point. I hadn't even thought of that. It was like, oh, big men don't matter. Big men don't matter. Now they're the ones helping these teams win championships. Um, I wonder, Pat, if if the if the pendulum has swung too far. I think the the Vikings will be an interesting test case this year. Moving on from super productive Dalvin Cook, let's see how Madison does. And then the other thing is like, what if Madison gets hurt? And let's see how Dalvin Cook does with his new team. Um, I think those guys. Look, I mean, everybody will tell you that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay are top 10 head coaches, right? They both tried to trade Christian McCaffrey, tried to trade for Christian McCaffrey. He makes a lot of money. He's the highest paid running back in the NFL. Now, Carolina paid a lot of that the first couple of years, but still, it's ironic, I think, that all these people will tell you how much running backs don't matter, and yet the same guys that are maybe two of the best young coaches in the NFL – they went out of their way to try to acquire a running back, to try to trade draft picks of value to pay a running back because they think Christian McCaffrey has an impact on the outcome of games. Now, how much do you think that is because, I mean, it's kind of twofold. Both those teams, they felt were close to winning a Super Bowl. And then if you could add the cherry on top of a really good running back, maybe that solves your final problem going forward. Or is it because Christian McCaffrey is so capable as a pass catcher that he just opens up a different dynamic of your offense. Now I would say that Saquon's very similar to Christian McCaffrey in that way. Maybe he's not as good of a receiver as McCaffrey. I feel like he's a better runner than McCaffrey is. And Saquon's still a good receiver on top of it all, but I'm just surprised. Like I think the deal with the giants is that maybe people feel like the giants overachieved a little bit. Maybe they feel like they've overachieved a little bit last year. And that Saquon's not really moving the needle. Like, Let's say the Giants win total this year is eight and a half. I mean, you can check DraftKings Sportsbook right now to find out what it actually is. Seven and a half, eight and a half, nine and a half. It's one of those numbers. Let's say it's eight and a half. If Barkley, and that's assuming Barkley plays, if Barkley doesn't play, do you think that that win total changes? Because I don't. Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's seven and a half right now. If they knew he wasn't going to play in any games this year, um, at least, at least the VIG would change. The big because might. people would come in on the under because he's such an important part of what they do. I don't know if it would go to seven, but certainly the the juice would change. I think if you knew Barkley wasn't going to play, but he's going to play. I mean, it's five hundred sixty one thousand dollars a week. I'd be surprised if he missed any of those paychecks. Do you think any of these guys like do the one game protest and sit out? No, I think they should do. Pat is show up the day before the first game. Why, why miss any of the money? Don't miss any of the money. Show up the day before the first game. 
get 561,000. Then the, the onus is really on the team. I mean, then, then the onus is really on the Raiders and the Giants. Do they want to take the chance of you getting hurt? They don't know what you've been doing this whole time. You just show up the day before the first game. Are they going to put you out there? You missed the whole week of game planning and stuff. But if they want you in there earlier, they either need to give you a little bit more money for year one or, or for the only for the for the for the one year deal, or they need to agree not to franchise tag you again. Which to me, by the way, the franchise tag just bugs the crap out of me. It feels so un-American. And you know, if if you if you don't think he's worth that much, then let him hit the open market. Let's let's figure it out. I feel like it has to do with something with the continuity of teams where there is inherent value to teams keeping their best players in the market where they originated from that. I assume that's what the entire franchise tag is for. Like, Hey, we don't look, we, it, it, is Lamar Jackson just going to hit the open market. Well, let's keep, let's, let's kick the can down the road one more year to make sure that he's here before we get a deal done. And you know, we can franchise him again. If that's going to be the case, then he makes a super duper amount of money at that point. Like it does seem like you are maybe not long-term compensated, because of the franchise tag, but you do hit a big boost, at least that first year. And if it happens again in the second year, it's a windfall of cash. I also think that the teams look at it like for Saquon, 10 million this year, 12 million next year on paper. Why would we do anything different? Yeah. I agree. For two more years, that's seven years. And then probably move on from him, you know, seven years out of a running back. It bugs me to no end that a team can, retain a guy and not let them hit the open market one time in seven years. That just seems unfathomably unfair that that's allowed. Um, But I would also say that the games are not played on paper and that sounds good, but they weren't that far off. You know, I mean, they were offering 11 million supposedly and 22 million guaranteed. I guess Saquon wanted more closer to 13 million and 25 million guaranteed. It felt like it was, a close enough gap there, Pat, where they could have gotten it done. And then you have harmony in the locker room. You have positive feelings going into the season. Now it's going to be every day, the Saquon holdout and where is he and when's he going to report and just a lot of negativity and distraction that I know coaches despise. Well, I can remember when Tomlinson and Adrian Peterson, like at the height of their primes, they just never showed up to camp anyway. They're like, hey, you just take four weeks off and come with a week left to make sure you're in decent shape. Like maybe there can be some sort of clause for running backs, and that's like no running backs in the preseason unless you're actually trying to make the team. If you're under contract, you don't have to show up until a week before and make sure you stay in decent shape, and then you get like an extra month off. I can't imagine training camp is very fun, is it? The worst part of the year by far. Um, it's gotten a lot easier than it was, Pat, when I was playing a lot easier because of all the rules they put into place. But I mean, it's still 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. I mean, those are long days. You're competing against your teammates. You're you're hitting them. You're tired of it. Those are long, tiring, sore days that you just can't wait till they're over. And you're not getting your money, really, till the season starts. So maybe that's the clause. Be like, hey, you get oh, you get a month's vacation along with this pay if you're underneath the franchise tag. If you're a running back, you don't have to show up until you know, study the playbook. Like I said, run on the treadmill a bit, stay in shape, uh, come back in your good condition for week one meetings, and we'll be good. I don't. Th- I think those guys probably don't do very much during training camp anyway. I mean, they don't put them in the preseason games. They, although I think Josh McDaniels had Josh Jacobs in the Hall of Fame game last, last year. year. I mean, think about that. What if he got hurt in the Hall of Fame game? I mean, Josh McDaniels cracks me up, man. All right, Ross. Well, congratulations again on getting on CBS TV, calling games. Who are you calling games with? Like, what's your team? Yeah, so it'll be a a three-man booth with Chris Lewis, who's uh, a young up-and-comer, and and Jason McCourty. Um, Jason McCourty is his second year retired. He's on Good Morning Football, um, which I think is perfect, Pat, because he's a DB. I'm an O-lineman, so... Um, I'd like to think that we're going to be a a great fit for each other. So is there like a chemistry bonding period that you guys get to have? Or is it like, hey, Friday of week one, let's all meet? I don't know. It's a good question. I already know Jason and I've done a bunch of games with Chris already. Um, But it's funny. I was actually going to talk to Jason this week about that exact question you just asked. (laughs) 
Yeah. So let's say you guys, let's say it's not required that you have to go do it. And you guys want to get together. Maybe you bring the families together. I don't know how any of that stuff works. Like what is an ideal? Like, Hey, let's go away for a weekend. Let's hang and try to become buddies. That'll make it better in the booth. Maybe it doesn't make you better in the booth. That's, that would be what I would try to do with it. Is there any sort of team building event you can think of that would, I think there's no question that the more time you spend with your partners in the booth, the better off you are just because it's almost like, even if you're just having a regular conversation, you're still feeling the flow of the convert of the discussion and still able to kind of, to utilize that when you're doing the actual game broadcast and it can come and, and, and there's something maybe that can be used. First of all, you talk about stuff for the broadcast. So you're kind of like prepping. Secondly, you know, maybe something happens funny that you can use on the broadcast, you know, something food or, or drink related. Well, maybe you'll have to be like Madden. The three of you can travel around the country in a bus. <laughs> that would be funny, man. Yeah. That'd be awesome. It would take a lot of time, I think. Yeah, As long as you can shoot your show from on the bus, you might be good to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got a bunch of podcasts I still got to record every week. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about going to the London game this year, and I was like, how am I going to do my show from London? And then I thought about it. It's like, it's not that hard. I got a camera. I got a little audio box and a Mac mini that's like this big that has the power of a supercomputer from 10 years ago. It's not, it's not as difficult as you might think anymore. Wow, that's awesome. Well, I hope you do. That'd be fun. If you've never done it, it's a great experience. Well, I've just never been to London. So I think this is a good way that I can get DraftKings to pay me to go to London. Do it, man. I love it. All right. Ross Tucker, uh, the podcast, the YouTube channel, anything else besides those two things and Ross Tucker NFL online. Is it Instagram and Twitter or just Twitter? Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Sorry, Facebook, uh, TikTok, uh, whatever whatever it is, yeah, X, whatever it's called. Just make sure you follow me there at Ross Tucker NFL because it's uh, show me your beer season. It's almost uh, press box food tuck spreads season. So certainly fired up about those two for social media. And then, yeah, you're right. Um, if you follow, if you go to youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL, you can see the full episodes and the highlight clips of, of all the different shows I have. And obviously you guys know how to get the podcast if you're if you're watching or listening to this. We got the Ross Tucker Football Podcast Daily, even money if you like the betting, fantasy feast if you like the fantasy, college draft if you like the NFL draft and college football. Follow Ross at all those places and subscribe to everything that he told you. All right, that's how we get good guests on the show. It's by health to helping them out. There's got to be something in it for them, so I'm not paying them to come on. Shockingly <laughs> enough. I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me at the PME on Twitter, sub to the YouTube channel, sub to the podcast, and smash the like on the way out. And for full free projections that are completely customizable, head on over to runthesims.com right now. Just enter your email and start tweaking some of the offense. Be a tweaker over there. Maybe you can find some good season-long props you want to get in on at DraftKings Sportsbook. Or wherever, I suppose. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.